girl. Hey, girl. Hey, you guys. Hi. Happy surprise secret drop whatever day this is. (laughs) Surprise. There's glitter everywhere. Can't you see it? (laughs) You guys, I'm really, truly excited to share this episode one of the Patreon series we just finished covering called The Menendez Murders, Eric Tells All. Yeah. The thing about this series, you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, we we went on an emotional journey with this. Yeah, because we didn't know much about it. We knew that it was kind of sensational, but we learned a lot here. You guys are going to hear in episode one, we're just kind of flipping and we don't really know what we think. And then in episodes two through five, I cried. Yeah. It was like a real emotional journey for me of like really understanding the torture that these boys were living with. Absolutely. Well, it was an education for both of us. For sure. So we were like, I've only watched episode one. We'll see what happens in episode two. That's really how we approached it. I know. If if what you know about this case is just based on like that movie that just came out a year ago or your recollections from the 90s. Or like sketches on SNL or some stupid. Totally. That's where I was when we started this. And I'm telling you, my thinking is completely different than Mm -hmm. where I started. I agree with you. So anyway, enjoy this episode. You can get the rest of this series, the other four episodes right now on Patreon where you can also get over a hundred full bonus episodes to binge right the second. There's a lot going on. You guys, we're talking Lorena making a murderer, The Staircase, The Jinx, yep. Lacey Peterson, OJ Jody, Made in America. OJ, Jody Arias. Jody Arias. You guys, there's also some crazy OJ crossover in this series. Yeah, what the what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Anyway, enjoy this episode. Go check that out if you feel like it and we love you. Yeah, we love you. Thanks so much for hanging out. Bye. Bye. I just kind of feel like Beverly Hills in the late 80s, early 90s sucked. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I I don't get the whole like, you guys, Beverly Hills was like the most pristine. I don't know. That doesn't appeal to me. Me either. So I'm kind of like, okay, great. Because we did it the whole thing with the the OJ trial. Uh And now we're here with the Menendez. You guys, we're covering the Menendez case. Oh, right. Yeah, that too. Here we are. (laughs) What is this called? It's called Murder in Beverly Hills. What's the, what's the series called? Oh, it's like the Menendez brothers, Eric Tells All. Eric and, with a K, by the way. And he does because he's narrating this from prison. So, <laughs> so here we go. Is that the definition of an unreliable narrator? Yes, absolutely. I think <laughs> I was, yeah, we were saying this before. Like, I think he might be the most unreliable narrator we've ever encountered, but we'll see. Narrating this documentary from prison, you guys. From, from prison. prison. <laughs> from prison. So it starts. We get, we get him. And he's telling us exactly that. I'm Eric Menendez. Speaking to you from the Donovan Correctional Facility in California near the Mexican border. I'm serving a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. I've heard many different versions of my life told in the media, and those stories are fiction. I think it's time people hear the truth from my own words without the restrictions of a courtroom. This whole opening bit with him talking about like how he's going to be telling us his story. He's saying that like you might think you know me, but you couldn't possibly because I'm telling you my story, my real story mm-hmm. now for the first time right. from a payphone in prison. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we get like a really long like coming up on this series thing. I feel like this was early on in these kinds of documentaries being made. And like I didn't recognize any of the talking heads. Larry and, King. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I just I there's no like, Nancy Grace. There's you know, no Nancy there's Grace. No... There's no Diane Diamond. No. Diane Diamond, we need her back in one of these. No, Gloria Gomez, which is fine. (laughs) Remember when you just said Gloria Gomez is such trash? Look, I... (laughs) 
li- I heard that back and I was like, who gave me a microphone? You actually texted That's me a- that. I was like, why am I allowed to do this? Like, I don't remember saying those things. I don't. Speaking of Larry King, uh-huh. my like in this whole pre like coming up on where they tell us everything that happens. It goes on for 15 minutes. Larry King says the Menendez trial had everything. Money, success, pedophilia. It was real American drama. Gross. Larry. Larry. You spent a weekend in Napa with Nancy Grace and now this is how you talk? I know. Horrible. <laughs> I know. Larry. Larry doesn't have much to do lately. He's on every one of these things, it seems like. We've been with Larry King for a long time. It's it really like. true. Larry. So, you know, I don't really, I know about this case. Uh-huh. In the sense where I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, but I don't, and I know, I like, I remember hearing like, oh, well, like they, the kids snapped because their parents were like horribly abusive, but yeah. I haven't done a deep dive in this. So no, I'm learning about this. I watched this when it first came out and I honestly can't remember much. Okay, great. So where do we start? So we start June 1989, Beverly Hills, two months before the murders. Yeah. Eric is graduating high school. Yes. I remember my graduation day pretty clearly. It took place at, at Beverly Hills High. My mom was there and my dad was there. I was really glad to see my brother. My brother spent most of his time on the East Coast, so I was really glad whenever he was out in California and I was able to spend some time with him. So we learn that Lyle, his brother, comes home for graduation and Eric's all happy because he spends a lot of time on the East Coast, Lyle does? Yeah, his brother goes to Princeton. How old are they? So Lyle, they're not twins. Okay. Lyle is like two years older than Eric, I think. They should make that clear. They, it's, it's not true. clear. And Eric really does look like a Beverly Hills 90210 teenager in which to say he looks 26 when he's 17. <laughs> he's so hot. It looks like a college graduation. I know. Everyone's going to be so mad at me, but I really do think that Eric is so hot. They show a lot of like model photos. They it's very Beverly Hills, you guys. And it gets even more scantily clad. We'll That's get to it. Said. Not in this app, apparently, but I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. Be excited. Nervous. Oh, God. I no. know. The one other thing I want to say about this is that we see all of these photos from his graduation day, and there's all these people in the background. And I just keep thinking, like, God, you like recognize yourself in the background of the Menendez graduation pics. I know. I know. I know. So weird. So weird. So Eric's talking about, like, he can't wait to like get away and go to college, which is UCLA. And I'm like, you're not really getting away. Yeah, that's... His dad says the same thing to him. Yeah. I was in the den with dad, and he was going over my college work. He was explaining to me that I would be living at home several nights a week. That even though I had a dorm, all the freshmen had to live at a dorm, but really I'd be living at home. And so Eric is devastated, and this is the first of many fights we hear about in this episode that just almost seemingly immediately just get really physical and really violent. Right, because he like he's really disappointed and mad, and he runs up to his room, and he's like throwing clothes in a bag. My dad came in a few minutes later, and he, he pushed me up against the window, and he had his, his arm against my neck and said, do, you know, do we have a, have a problem? And I said, I said, no, and he said, you know, you better be here when I get back to my trip. Oh, it's just, you know, we believe victims on this podcast, right? See, this is the and problem. And we believe survivors on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little like, I don't know who or what to believe right now because we're five minutes into this documentary. And I got to say, this whole story, so this episode unfolds sort of like a list. It's yeah. like, Eric is just sort of like listing a series of events. We're going to try to make it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so this is also the first time we hear that Eric said he felt dead inside. He wanted to take his own life. He was really, really, really hating every. Everything and everyone at and this point. He's truly suicidal. Right. He says. Yeah. So now we're five days before the murder, and now Lyle is fighting with their mom about a hairpiece? Are we gonna talk mark? about this? Mark? 
We are told this story from Eric's perspective that he like, comes in from outside. In monotone, by the way. Right. <laughs> like, he, he, I, I, like, did you cut out the part where it was like, okay, I know this is going to sound really crazy. I know it's going to sound weird. Just bear, just stick with me, please. Did they cut that art? Like, that would have been a better, like, just include, always include that part. When someone's like, so, so here's a story that I actually never really told. I remember it was Tuesday that I was coming in the, the, the front door of the house and mom and Lyle were coming out of the study and mom was, was screaming. They were in an argument. Lyle was saying that he needed it, that it was important. And mom in a rage said, you know, you don't need your dressing hair piece. And, he, and she, she reached up and she ripped his hair off his head. And I remember just being stunned by what just happened. The mom rips Lyle's wig off. Because she, like, Lyle's like, Mom, we don't know what it is at this point. Right. And he's like, Mom, I need it. It's really important. I really need it. And uh-huh. she's like, you don't need your fucking hairpiece. And then rips it off of his head. No, the other thing, too, is that everyone in this moment is scandalized. And we get this, like, five minutes of Eric saying that he had to, like, go find Lyle and be like, you're still my brother, man. I told him, you know, not to worry about it, that he was my brother, that I loved him. Basically saying, I don't judge you. Eric has to explain to his brother that he still loves him when he finds out that he wears a wig. Right. And then also, Eric, he wears a wig. It's so ridiculous. It's like, everyone calm down. Um, and Eric's <laughs> including like, me. Including I didn't you. take it down. Because Eric's like, that conversation changed our lives. And I'm like, really? Because it, what he's trying to say is that it led to a conversation that yes. changed their lives. Yes. The conversation changed our lives. I asked him, do you remember, you know, when I was a kid, you asked me if anything was happening between me and dad. And I said, well, it's still happening. He was like, what do you mean? And I just said, it's still happening. Just sexual things. Eric says, like, there's all this sex stuff that's happening with us. Yeah. And it's been going on since childhood, and it's still happening, and I'm 18 years old. Right. And Lyle was like, well, this shit ends now. So according to Eric Menendez on the phone from prison, he tells us... That Lyle like went into the dad's study and he's like, "No, bitch! Like, right, yeah. this is all. This all ends now." I guess Lyle just exploded on him and said, "You're gonna keep your hands off my brother. Here's in person. He just did what nobody ever does to my dad." Did the dad uh, studied Lyle for a minute and like measured him and said, "You know, son, we all make choices in life, and uh, Eric's made his, and, and you're making yours, and, and now I have to make mine." We should point out that the dad, Jose Menendez, is like a big time movie mogul. Yeah, They're he like super... finances movies. Yeah, he finances movies. He's like a producer. He works for this company live. It's like live entertainment yeah, or something. Yeah, which I think is still around. He's like a big, big, big deal. So nobody ever talks to him like this. Right. And Lyle is like standing up to his dad for the first time. Right. And their mom's name is Kitty. We'll, yes. We'll get to her. So things, again, like immediately get violent. Right. The dad goes upstairs and threatens Eric. Like, how dare you tell Lyle now everyone's going to know this big secret about me about the sexual abuse i am perpetrating against you he's like for you since childhood to now right they told me to shut up they charged at me pushed him away as he was coming toward me and scooted out the, the front side of the bed and then ran down the stairs and so apparently according to eric he was like mom was hammered again <laughs> i was like what <laughs> i ran into the den and my mom is there and she said what's the matter with you and she was either drinking or something was slurring her words. And I said, nothing, nothing. You wouldn't understand. And she said, oh, I understand a lot more than you think. You know, I know. I've always known. I just stopped. I said, what, what do you mean by that? And she said, what do you think? I'm stupid? 
Kitty is slurring her words. What's going on? That's Eric. <laughs> Eric's words. <laughs> on a payphone from prison. On a payphone from prison. Yeah. And the mom like drunkenly confesses like 18 mint juleps in or whatever. <laughs> At like two in the afternoon. Which look. Right. <laughs> Sometimes you have a hard day, and by two o'clock, you it's have happy to have hour. that 18th mint julep. It's happy I get hour, it. okay? Yeah, yeah. Look, if you think I haven't started early just because it helps, uh-huh. you'll have another thing coming. Yeah. I would never rip a hairpiece off no. or like allow sexual abuse to happen if that's the case. Like that, I would never do. You, but there, you have a line, is what you're saying. I, that you were not going to cross. The line is 22 mint juleps. Yeah. But everything else is not allowed. No. And so then it just suddenly, like, maybe the editing's bad or whatever, because then Eric is like, well, that's when I knew my parents were going to kill me. And I'm like, what? Yeah. So this is never really cleared up. Like, Eric just jumps right to my parents are going to kill me. It became clear to me that that dad was not going to let me get away and that mom had always known. That kind of just shattered everything. That was the moment I knew that that my parents were going to kill me. So then we meet like this this psychologist, Dr. Tabori. Yeah. And she's just here to say like this was the most dysfunctional family she's ever seen. Right. She's like, they are hands down the most dysfunctional family in the world. Uh-huh. And I'm like, but how do you know that? Yeah, and she's saying that, like, look, in families like this, and I'm sure this is true, like yeah. these kids are sometimes raised in a way where they can never imagine living on their own without assistance from their parents. Eighteen and twenty-one year old boys are still boys. And the likelihood that their ability to think that they could leave and live independently on their own was slim to none. Well, it's the same thing, like just abusive relationships, like even uh, in, dom- in domestic with with a spouse. You yeah, know, you yeah. feel like you can't ever leave. You're programmed. I can't. I can't leave. Leave. Uh, yeah, what are you yeah, talking yeah. about? Leave. Yeah. So that's what she's trying to say. And when it's parents and kids, yeah. and you're told, well, who's going to pay for everything? Right. So now it's Friday, August 18th, two days before the murders. And Eric says, we went out to buy guns. I'm not sure how practical that was. I just said, (laughs) whoa. In my notes, I just have. He was like, it wasn't really realistic because we know nothing about guns. But hey, we got the guns. Yeah. We went to a, uh, I believe it was a big five. I remember the man at the door was very friendly. And the man asked, you know, what do we want the guns for? Because we asked him for something smaller. And we told him for self-defense. Someone comes at it. We have a gun. And he said guns you knew for self-defense and he put it down and it was a shotgun so we ended up buying the guns right then and he's like well we just bought them right then and there great Ugh. you know i can't get my adhd meds without without a whole oh. rigmarole every oh. month but let's give two kids guns exactly please great. Yeah. excellent please yeah. please more of that if you want me to buy a gun not on my meds great <laughs> no actually no no actually really no exactly and i never would <laughs> So now it's Saturday afternoon, August 19th, my sister's birthday. Oh, no. 1989, she would have been 11. Oh. It's one day before the murders, and we meet this, like, boat captain. He's such a boat captain. He really is. It's Marina Del Rey, California. His name is Bob Anderson. He owns a fishing boat, and he says that, like, yeah, um, the day before the Menendez parents were brutally murdered, like, they hired me to take them out shark fishing. Which stinks. <laughs> Leave the, leave the animals leave out Leave the it. goddamn sharks alone. The thing is, the dad was like, we're going to celebrate some big business deal I did, and we're going to go shark fishing because of it. And everyone's like, fucking great. Well, the, the thing is, we're hearing from Eric from a payphone from prison mm-hmm. telling us, I remember that drive, and it was terrible. I remember the drive down to the marina. It was complete silence the entire way there. I, I swear to God, it felt like I was being driven to my grave. I remember seeing the boats and 
feeling this dread. Because what Eric is reminding us is that the dad, according to Eric from a payphone from prison, had said, if you ever tell Lyle, we will kill you. Right. And so we're initially told that, like, Eric was afraid for his life out on this, like, boat going shark fishing, that the dad was going to kill him. But then I realized the whole family was there, and this captain was there, and, like, a first mate was there. Right. And when the parents see this, apparently they are super pissed. Well, Eric says nothing about that trip makes sense, and I just have, I'll say, (laughs) nothing about this makes sense. Because you're right. When Kitty sees that there's this captain and first mate, like she's like annoyed that there are other people there. And the and the captain is like the vibe was real strange. As they came to the boat and we set sail off the dock, the uh, boys moved up to the bow of the boat, and the uh, parents basically went down inside the boat into the back. It was a weird vibe just all around. Basically, the deckhand and I did everything. Not, none of the four came back. They really kind of acted like they didn't have it, want to have any part of it. The family, they were estranged almost the whole time. The captain is corroborating. Like, it was a real weird vibe. And Eric is saying, well, that's because I told my brother about all the sexual abuse stuff. And my dad's really mad and he'd run to this boat so he could kill me. Right. Then we cut to, again, I'm just like, wait, what is happening? Because yeah. now they're home. Right. Everyone survived. <laughs> and Eric is telling us the story where the dad is like pounding on the door to Eric's room to like fight with him again. And Eric is on the other side with a shotgun. I remember holding the gun sitting on my bed, waiting to see if he was going to break down the door. I remember this terror coursing through me that this was it. It was all going to happen now. In, in my mind, it didn't even matter that I was holding this gun. I, I felt like as soon as dad broke through that door, I was going to die. But I didn't care because I was never going to let Dad come in my room and do that again. It's this insane story of Eric sitting on his bed, pointing a shotgun at the door, and then the dad just, like, walks away. I don't... I know. (laughs) I know. I just feel like in in what universe so far that we've learned about this dad who's, like, super violent and sexually abusing his son and just being horrible, that he would just be like, oh, I guess he's not home, and, like, walk (laughs) away. He would kick that door down. It's true. So now we're at the morning of the murders. Yeah. It's August 20th, 1989. Right. So it wasn't like they woke up, like, today's the day we're going to kill our parents. Yeah, even though they bought those guns five days ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The tension had been building day after day. I'm not sleeping well. I wasn't thinking clearly. The, the best idea was for me to just stay away from the house and for Lyle to try to talk to mom and dad because it seemed like everything was about to explode. And like Eric goes to church and then he goes to the beach and then he gets home like late and Lyle is like super mad that, he, that he's that he been gone all day. Right, because then Lyle tries to leave and the mom won't let him leave. Right. And then this like devolves into this gigantic fight with the four of them about how Lyle is not going to let the dad molest Eric ever again. And then Lyle said, not going to touch my brother. We had a big argument. I was saying that he wasn't going to touch Eric. Dad, he, he, he charged at Lyle and he yelled, I, you know, I do what I want. My family is not your little brother. He's my son. The dad is also, like, super violent with the mom. Yeah. We, we hear all these stories of him, like, grabbing her and pulling her and telling her to shut up. And so Eric says that the dad, like, dragged the mom into the den and closed the door. And Eric knew it was now or never. It was they are go- they're going to get the stuff to kill us. Mm-hmm. Or we have to go to our room and get the guns to kill them. One or the other. Right. I felt like my heart was going to explode. It was just pounding. I felt like... I felt like my life was over right then. I ran upstairs to tell my brother that it was happening now. The thing was was colliding at that moment, and and my brother said, This was it, and they were going to kill us. And I just felt chills over my body. I remember running 
remember grabbing my gun and I remember my hands trembling. And all I knew is that if I didn't get to those doors before mom and dad got out, that I was going to die. It was the only thought in my head. And then Eric and Lyle, because we have audio from Lyle from the trial. Yes. Lyle yeah. from the trial. Sorry, I just said a lot of rhyming things. Lyle, Lyle, crocodile. Yeah. Um, so they just both described the murders for us. We just burst through the doors, and uh, I started firing. I remember seeing a shadow right off to the right, my brother over to the left. I remember firing and firing, and I couldn't see anything. It was just fire and, and darkness and this, this booming, exploding sound. It was terrible. We fired you know, many, many times, and um, you could hear things breaking, and you could hear the ringing noises from the booms and smoke from the guns. Basically, just chaos, and I really didn't know who was firing at who and what was going on. I just was, you know, firing my gun. It was like hell had come to the world, and I just wanted to run away. There was nowhere to go. It's horrible. So then there's like this massacre and then they just sit there in silence. Yeah, they go and they sit on the stairs and like Eric, according to Eric, he is a mess. And Lyle is like, it's all going to be fine. I'm going to take care of you. And they're just sitting there like anybody who's committed a double murder. They're just waiting for the police to show up. Right, because you think that if someone sneezes a little too loud in Beverly Hills, they're calling the the neighborhood watch or whatever. We waited on the stairs there for the police to come. Minute after minute after minute after minute. They should have been there within 60 seconds. Two minutes, the max. The police never show up. They never show up. They don't come. And Not even the neighbors. The neighbors aren't like, excuse me. I know. And so Eric and Lyra were like, well, shit, girl, uh, are we going to get away with this? And they get in their car and they drive around to like create an alibi for themselves. Right. Their first big idea, that we just did this in Killing for Love. Yes. They go to the movies. They try to go to the movies. (laughs) (laughs) Again, guns not realistic. Movie alibi, not a thing. You can't try to get movie tickets for three hours ago. <laughs> Can't do it. It's only could, the 10:30 show at this point. Could you backdate this a couple hours? No, girl. That's not suspicious. Every murderer in Los Angeles is in line for this one movie theater. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. So Eric is like, I cannot stress this enough. We were really bad at this. Right. <laughs> we were just. They were scrambling because they thought that they would be caught any second. And then they're like, Well, maybe we actually will get away with this. And then he tells us that they like they drive up to Mulholland Drive. Oh God. And they. So here's the thing. I, when I was in LA last. And I was driving. I had to from where I was staying to where I was going. I had to go on Mulholland Drive. That's a really twisty, turny. It's really place, right? twisty, turny, and they don't. It's like it's on a cliff, so it's twisty, turny. But there's no like railing. You could drive off that road, and and you would plummet hundreds of feet to your death. La, can we fix this, please? We're get a fucking guardrail. Well, who do I have to call? I know. <laughs> no Julia, one... Julia Roberts, I guess. She's like what? I know. She... <laughs> what? No. Oprah? Do you call Oprah? I don't know. Who do we call? <laughs> So they they pull off the side of Mulholland Drive and they can't like they can't even bury their guns. We just drove up to Mulholland and just jumped over the side of the road and we didn't have any anything to bury guns with, so we just 
put them under a bush and, and shove some dirt over it. I guess we just put them under a bush and then just like put with their hands. They want to get too dirty. They just put like a little bit of dirt on them. Great. So then they just decide to go back to the house. They don't have movie tickets. They put the guns. They just placed the guns under a bush on like one of the most famous roads in L.A. One of the most traveled roads in all of California. Right. With no barriers at all. Like totally. And so they go back to the house and it was really quiet. When we got home, it was just silence. Still, there was nobody there. Nobody had called the police. Nobody had shown up, and it was just—it was just quiet. I just had this need to go to the room. I had this need to be with mom and dad, just to see them, to be there. And I couldn't stop myself. When I saw them, I just—I just broke down. It was so wrong. This should have been me. And seeing them dead was. It was, it was like hell. It was horrible. Eric is really struggling with what happened. This is basically for the rest of the episode. Eric just tells us how like he mentally and emotionally, he just shut down. He really kind of lost it. Like he yeah. couldn't deal with what they just did, according to Eric. From a payphone from prison. So we see like the police video of this. We see the dead bodies of the parents. Oh, it is so brutal. God. Why? But then like if this is true and the dad was molesting Eric his entire life and the mom knew it and there yeah. was a lot of violence and horribleness like yeah. I'm just like well and I feel nothing I guess like I don't know. It's just like we keep meeting these experts and it's like they seem to be believing this story. I just I personally at, at this very early stage I need more information about the Same. story. Yeah. So Eric is in the room he's totally losing his shit Lyle pulls him out of the room Eric goes back into like Eric cannot get enough of being around his dead parents. Right. But then Lyle, just out of nowhere, doesn't say anything to Eric. Eric just hears Lyle like sobbing and crying about how somebody killed my parents. Lyle called the cops. Yes, please. What's the problem? Show the police what Oh my God, someone killed my parents sobbing hysterically. Yeah, but the thing about it was like the the dispatcher on the phone, I was like, is this your first day? Because she's like, pardon me? Pardon she me? She's saying, what happened? What happened? What happened? She's getting louder and more <laughs> frantic as she's asking what happened. And then Lyle says, my parents were shot. She goes, they were shot? They were shot? I'm like, girl, send somebody. Do you understand like why, why people are calling you? Like, you do understand what you what your job is. Look, I don't think you ever like get used to being a dispatcher. Uh-huh. I think you get, like, I think you have a really slow little bit, like a slow week, and then suddenly you get this call that is the stuff of nightmares uh-huh. yeah. and you just can't believe like like it's and beware the slender man where the guy was like wait they stabbed her how many times? i know like you just can't believe that this is happening i know i know look i'm not doing that job so no. good for them <laughs> so the cops show up and they're all like yeah the brothers weren't suspects at all yeah and one of the cops even says to us like look they're upset because their parents are murdered right and so they they immediately feed the cops the story that their dad was dealing with quote unsavory characters they gave enough information where we could conduct our investigation and that was that the brothers said that the father had been dealing with some unsavory characters within his business and thought that was probably mafia connected they blame the killings on the mob and i'm like girl but the cops totally are like oh yeah that makes sense look the cops totally eat it up right and then we get we're back to the captain of the boat real quick he just like pops up again he's like i turned on the television and broadcast or whatever says Rich Beverly Hills couple shot to death. 
And I turned around to my roommate and I said, that's the Menendez's and the kids shot him. What made you and say that? I don't know. Weird feeling night before being so weird. Oh, I called it from the beginning. I totally knew it. I totally knew it. And the producer yeah. is just like, why? Yeah. And he's like, because it was also weird yesterday on the boat. What did I just say? Wait. Like, <laughs> He says he turned to his roommate and told him, this boat captain has a roommate. He's like in his 50s. Does he? <laughs> you can say what you I are know. now. It's, it's totally 2019. We you can even you. get married over there. And so Eric is like a mess right now. And he's the thing. Ugh, the thing that's a little hard is that he's really, really describing in detail this moment of like when he, according to him, like I totally blacked out. I didn't know what was going on. But he remembers a lot. Seemingly, yeah. Yeah. Because he's asking the cops, are my parents dead? I just remember asking if my parents were dead because I couldn't cope with it. I couldn't re I couldn't face it. And I'm like, girl, there's, there's blood on the ceiling. Uh-huh. This is a massacre. Uh-huh. And I just don't know if that's something that, like, he saw in a lot of movies to say, like, are they really dead, officer? Yeah, I mean, you know, Eric, to hear it now, he was just a big, fat mess. And if the stories about his abuse are true... Absolutely. I can absolutely imagine like this is my like the monster but this is also my dad my, mm-hmm. like I can only imagine what was going on in his brain yeah yeah and the thing is it's sort of easy to not believe the story at this point but then we start meeting the people that Jose the dad worked with okay so <laughs> I guess at one point he was a big fancy like financier but at one point he worked at Hertz right <laughs> I know <laughs> because Dan Starr his co-worker <laughs> at Hertz was like <laughs> Oh, I wasn't surprised at all. No. And I'm like, what? I know. Looking back, I didn't say, really? Well, who would have done that? Oh, my gosh. Really? Somebody killed him? Oh, it was nothing like that. It was like, no kidding. He's the only one that I've ever met that I would say, well, gee, what a surprise. It's not a surprise. I, I also don't think that they were necessarily like counter agents. They probably worked up in the office. Right. I just wanted more information <laughs> where I'm like, too. I thought he was fancy pants in Hollywood. Hurts. I know. I know. Hurts like OJ hurts like what yeah so then we meet this guy Roger Smith who was the former like COO of this entertainment company that the dad had yeah and he he says never in my life he's like to make me sound awful to millions of people but of all the people in the world who might get murdered this one would be kind of on my top five list it's unreal. The guy's willing to say this to the camera. And these people are just like, I mean, come on. Yeah, because he also says... There's a line in the article quoting me saying, I sincerely believe when we find out what really happened, we will all be embarrassed to learn it is to do with some bizarre aspect of Jose's personal life. They know sick shit about this guy. Yeah. These people have no reason to lie. And they're happy to talk about I it. I know. Saying so, it like canaries. So this is the first time that I'm like, wait, oh my God, are the boys telling the truth? I just have, excuse me, with like three <laughs> lines of question marks. We also meet Virginia Morris, the neighbor, who says, It was the talk of the neighborhood. It was the talk of the neighborhood. I'm sure it was. It was the talk of the neighborhood, Virginia. Yeah, how many mint juleps did you have the night before? You didn't hear anything? Nobody heard anything? I know! A shotgun blast is really fucking loud. And the thing is, I'm not trying to say, like, what really happened. Obviously, as someone says, they were, quote, shotgunned to death. (laughs) Who was that person? I was like, what? Oh, my God. I know, I know. So I'm not denying that. Yeah. But it's just like, how did these Beverly Hills idiots, like, don't realize what's happening in their neighborhood? Before you guys come at me for being a monster for 
laughing at the the sentence shotgunned to death. Mm-hmm. What I'm laughing at is the fact that you and I, after 200 episodes of this, can still be scandalized by somebody saying something like that. Because I had the same reaction. I was like, did you just say shotgunned? What? But like the fact that we can still be scandalized. I'm horrified by it. I know. How are we not like the hardened, weirdest people on earth? Who says we're not? I know. <laughs> So then we start to learn a little bit about like what Eric and Lyle were doing just immediately following the murders. Next morning, when we were still investigating, the officer came to me and said, Lyle Menendez is here and he wants to get things out of the house. So I went out and I spoke to Lyle and he said, we're going to go stay with our tennis coach. So we wanted to get some things clothing wise and get our tennis gear. I go, your tennis gear? I said, well, where is your tennis gear? He said it's in the room where our parents were killed. I mean, that was pretty cold for the next morning after they discovered that their parents had been murdered. Because Eric is like, I just really threw myself into my tennis game. I just really (laughs) needed to focus on my tennis. And the cop was like, red flag number one. That was my first indication that something wasn't right there. But then we find out that the police or whoever like gave the the boys the parents credit card so they could live. Right. And they're not buying like the essentials. No. They're buying cars and watches. They buy a Jeep and a Porsche and three Rolexes. For the two of them. Excuse me. Three. A Jeep and a Porsche? Are you kidding? Also, you can buy a car on a credit card? Yeah. Not the essentials, you guys. No. And so Eric throws Lyle under the bus. He, Because he's like, I actually didn't spend anything, fun fact. Right. One of the ways that Lyle made himself feel better was by spending money. What my mom did and what they did together. That was just the way they handled depression. It's my brother's way of coping. It wasn't my way of coping. I didn't spend money for the efforts. Uh, it's no more than I would have before. We see an actual tally. Lyle, during this time, spends $314,000. Eric spends $9,000. And we, how do we have this? Do we I know? don't know. It po- it just popped up on the screen. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But Eric does is very quick to be like, I didn't spend anything. Right. <laughs> I spent nothing. Let the record show. Right, yeah. Lyle did it all. So then remember Roger, who's like the CEO or COO of that, that entertainment company? Yeah, yeah. He's the guy who's like, look, Jose was into some real weird shit. Right, he'd be on my top five of everyone in the world to be murdered like not surprised at all right he's like I was ordered to give the eulogy he was really unhappy about having to say anything nice about Jose I had been ordered to give one of the eulogies at the the church someone in the company came up to me and said oh Roger I think you're doing such a wonderful job of hiding your emotions I said you mean my glee And they said, Roger, even you can't joke at a time like this. I said, I'm not joking. And he's saying this to the camera. He hated him. I know. But why? Right. He hated Jose. But like, also, Roger, girl, if you know stuff, tell us. I know. I know. If you have information, fucking tell us. Yeah, I know. What do you know, Roger? I know. Where's that documentary, right? I guess this is it. I guess this is it. Sorry. But then we meet a guy named Al Anderson, who's the cousin. He, He was Kitty's nephew. And he lived with the Menendez family for a while. And he says to us, my wife, she went to the funeral with me. And at that point I haven't told her anything I sat her down and I let her know um, what's what what I experienced while living with them um, was 
the primary thing of what's what. She was <laughs> quite flabbergasted, to say the least. And that's it. We don't ever find out. We right. just we just are told it was kind of bad, right. but we don't ever find out. Girl, tell us what happened. I know. If you have information, I'm not saying that they, the boys should have killed their parents, but like if you know that there really was abuse happening, we need to know. Yeah, and they need like to get help. Exactly. You know what I mean? Not right. just be in prison. Yeah. So then, you know, Eric even more is like dreaming about taking his own life. He's super, super depressed. Yeah. And two months after the murders, Eric starts seeing a therapist named Dr. Ozeal. This is crazy town. This is another confusing, like, it's not told in the best way. No. So I'm not entirely clear on the timeline. Well, here. it seems to me that on Eric's very first visit to this doctor, he's with him for 30 seconds and he's like, okay, fine, I killed my parents. I, I mean, immediately. Yeah, the guy just, really wants to get it out. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, and I, I totally understand how that would be. And that's what therapy's for. After I had uh, confessed to him, he called Lyle in. I had not told Lyle that I was going to go see Dr. Ozeal. I made an error there. I should have, I should have discussed it with Lyle. Lyle is apparently sitting in the waiting room. Right. They call Lyle in, and Eric's like, uh, girl, um, I didn't mean to tell the therapist this, but I just told the therapist that we totally, brutally murdered our parents. It's been two months, by the way. Like, are the police looking for suspects? Like, what is happening? Right. But here's what I was unclear about, because Lyle was all mad that he went to see a therapist, and they both are saying, even in trial, like, audio from Lyle, they're just like, "We, I really should have discussed my therapy with my brother before I decided to go to therapy. No, you don't. You go to therapy when you, you don't have to get permission from anybody. I agree, but we... We learn that the Lyle feels super betrayed that Eric went to the therapist and not to him. But in this therapy session, day one, right. Eric tells the therapist they killed their parents. They bring Lyle in. Lyle's mad. But then the therapist says to them. Dr. Ozeal said flat out that because of what I told him, he can go to the police. He would feel comfortable in not going to the police if, if we went into business together. It was really clear to me really quickly that he wanted money. Pay me and this could all go away. Oh my God. I know. Again, we are told this from Eric on a payphone from prison. So who the fuck knows what the real story right. is? But then we get some investigator who's like, oh, I'll do you one better. Yeah. Because the therapist recorded the whole conversation. I'm like, how did he know to record something? Uh-huh. I don't really, I think there's a disconnect there. I think Lyle came in much later. It I don't seems think it like it all happened in 10 minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. But it may, like, then why would he be mad about therapy if he was in the therapist's office uh-huh. anyway? Like that uh-huh. just, it, but it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Because the guy's like, all right, therapist recorded the conversation, then had his quote mistress slash patient listening outside the door. This oh my is a God. very busy therapist's office. Then he has his mistress, who I believe was also a patient of his, standing at the door and listening in on their therapy sessions. And then she gets pissed off and calls the police when he breaks up with her. Here's the thing. If, uh, there's so much wrong here. So much. It's all wrong. Everything about it is wrong. When you have a, a patient who's also your receptionist, who you also are having listen in on your sessions to the where the kids just admitted to killing the parents. Who you're also having sex with. And you, now you're extorting them for money. You can't break up with her. You're with no. her for the rest of your goddamn Come life. Come on, Dr. Ozeal. What I, are you, you thinking? You break up with her? No. This is so chaotic and it, so weird. It's very chaotic. And it basically ends six months after the murders. The cops are now on to Eric and Lyle. Right. And the cops are like we were getting suspicious anyway based on like the weirdness we learned and the case that we're building and you'll learn about that next time on Eric Tells All that's (laughs) how it ends and I'm like I I was exhausted after this I felt like there were like Tasmanian devils all around me and just a lot of noise and then everyone left my apartment and it was silent and I was like what just happened to me Uh, you guys, thanks for checking that out. Whoa. I know. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Just 
just the beginning, everybody. It's just the beginning, you guys. It gets so crazy. I talked about this in therapy. Yeah? It affected me so deeply totally. that I talked about it in therapy. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh man, like the media really does do a number on, uh-huh. on people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Us included. You know, us like included. People on trial and us watching it. Like, come on. We're going to meet some characters. Oh We're going to meet God. a defense attorney named Leslie Abramson. Uh, yeah. We're going to meet Eric's current wife. Mm-hmm. We're we, gonna... we spend a good amount of time with Larry King. We spend a good amount of time with Larry King. We meet a lot of people who really, really hated Jose Menendez. People yeah. he used to work with. And just the OJ crossover is the, rampant. You guys, the OJ crossover. The OJ crossover. A lo- there's a lot of it. It's it's what you think, and then it's more than what you think. Exactly. It's a lot going on. <laughs> uh, again, you guys, you can get the whole series to download right this second on Patreon, where you get about 100 other full bonus episodes. All the series you ever wanted us to cover. Patreon.com slash Obsessed, or go to the website and click on the Patreon link. Um, We love you. We love you. Thank you so, so much. All right, bye. Bye.